For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Tim Cato, who covers the Dallas Mavericks for The Athletic, about the Western Conference Final that went down on Wednesday night at Chase Center between the Warriors and the Mavericks. The Warriors took Game 1 from the Mavericks in convincing fashion. Luka Doncic did not look like himself, just 20 points on 18 shots from the field en route to a Warriors 112-87 win over Dallas. All stuff we can talk about with Tim Cato, as well as Game 2 coming up tonight. Today is Friday, May 20th. It's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast Tim Cato. He covers the Dallas Mavericks for The Athletic. You can also hear him on The Athletic Podcast Network on the 77 Minutes Mavs podcast. Tim, thanks for making time today. How are you? Absolutely. How are you, Adam? I'm doing well. Uh, Certainly after the Game 1 win for the Warriors, I imagine uh, in Dallas they're not quite as happy entering Game 2 or following Game 1, right? You know, it's it's not a good thing to be down in a series in any circumstance. I think the way the Mavericks are spinning it is that they don't know how to win a series without losing the first game. <laughs> Both of the last two series, they lost the first one against Phoenix, so they went down 2-0, maybe more infamously, and then, and then came back. The Mavericks have been very good at adjustments, so it's not a good thing that they lost game one, but it, it's also not the end of the series, and, and both teams know that. I was thinking about this coming into the series. I think Luka Doncic has a really good chance to establish himself, if he hasn't already, as like the best offensive weapon in the NBA. Probably, I mean, it'd be like him and Kevin Durant would probably be the two guys that I look at. And Luka's well on his way to, you know, Durant will be at the end of his career at some point in the next five to seven years probably, and Luka's got a whole career ahead of him. What is it about his style of play that allows him to take over a game the way he does? Because he got the shots off on, uh, on what night was that? I guess Wednesday night. He was getting the shots off in game one. They just weren't fallen and everybody goes into these series or into these games with Dallas saying don't let Luka beat you you got to make the other guys like uh, Spencer Dinwiddie or uh, Dwight Powell let those guys come and beat you don't let it be Luka Warriors got a a bad shooting performance from him in game one what did you think of his play and what do you make of his game his ability to take over you know he wasn't at his best you know and and which usually means that he will have a great game following that you know I've seen it happen often enough he's such a complete player on the offensive end you know like everybody knows about his passing and his vision you know, something that people are starting to understand, but I still don't think is realized enough is just how athletic he is. You know, he's not traditionally athletic. We think of American athleticism as, okay, what's your 40 time? How many uh, reps do you bench? He's core strong. He is strong, like within his body, like he can bump and move people. And he's also got this ability to start and stop and start again, you know, when his defender is still trying to deal with that first stop. It's basically his deceleration is, you know, absolutely elite. It reminds of, of James Harden. James Harden is the other athlete in the NBA. You know, honestly, you could even go back to Paul Pierce. Paul had, a, you know, some, some of that in his game. But Luka adds to that, you know, a, a step back three. You know, he adds to it the, the passing vision. He adds it, to, adds to it the creativity. He's a very creative, nuanced player in a way that James Harden was very mechanical in, in some ways. Where, you know, a brilliant passer but would kind of just make the same play given what the defense can do. And, and Luka's just, he's more creative. He, he's got more in his bag than that. And so that's, that's the player I've watched, you know, over these, these past years. And, and that's why I'd be pretty surprised if he doesn't come out in game two and, and play much, much better. 6 of 18 in Game 1 for 20 points. It wasn't an efficient night by any stretch. He was a minus 30 in the game. I'm not big on, on one game plus or minus, but when you're looking at, at the way he shot the ball, it certainly tells you about his effectiveness or, or his efficiency. Did you think the Warriors defended him well? Did they have a good game plan for that, or do you think it was just an off night for him from the field? I thought Golden State deserves a lot of credit for what they did. You know, I thought Andrew Wiggins was good. I thought Kevon Looney did a really good job channeling him into help. Wiggins did that as well. 
The Warriors definitely deserve credit for, for the game plan they came up with. It's just that game plans don't work multiple times in a row against Luka historically. It's just very difficult for that to happen. So I, I would anticipate in game two and going forwards, the Mavericks do a better job getting him into, you know, onto mismatches and either forcing doubles or help, you know, more aggressive helping from the Warriors that opens up shooters. Or you could even argue that the Mavericks did have a lot of open shooters in the first half and those shots just didn't fall. They had a 28 open, wide open threes, according to the, the tracking numbers, and they made eight of them. You know, they would have made uh, 12 or 13 had they hit the same rate they've been hitting all postseason on those same shots. So I think that's where the, the, the offense kind of got away from them in the first half. And then it was just a different game. 11 for 48 from three-point range uh, in that game. You pointed out the uh, the poor three-point shooting. Luka, 3 for 10. Brunson, 0 for 5. Bullock, uh, 3 for 10. And then Finney Smith, 1 for 3. Those were your starters. Dinwiddie did hit 3 off the bench. Is this a series, you think, where they're going to have to shoot the three-ball at a certain percentage to be able to win? I know they – didn't they have some pretty crazy splits against Phoenix where they weren't making them in one – I can't remember which city they were making them in. Was it in Dallas they were more effective? In Dallas they were more effective, but then in, in – Game seven, the close out there, they're a little bit better there. Made it, everything in that game. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they've lived and died by the three all, all postseason. You know, Utah was, I, I believe, second in the league, uh, you know, at quantity of threes that, that they were taking the regular season. And I believe Dallas outshot them from three, like took more threes every single game of that series. This is what they've been living on. They've been playing five-out offense, and their defense has been set up around running, running the opponents off the three-point line. And, you know, forcing them into mid-rangers, even giving up layups. I thought Golden State hit a lot of tough uh, twos, a lot of tough mid-rangers in game one. You know, something that may or may not, uh, you know, kind of continue throughout the series. And then on the other end, yeah, it's, it's all about creating the threes. And, you know, I, I guess your other option is just, just to leave Luka in, in single coverage and let him score you know, like literally like 60 and, and just say, we're going to stay home on the shooters no matter what. But this Mavericks offense is, is designed around around Luka reading the help and forcing help and then finding shooters. And that's, I think, what the Mavericks are really going to focus on. You know, to a to degree, I, I think game one went their way in terms of process for at least that first half. And then it got away from them. They need to adjust and make tweaks. But I, I think some of the things they did in game one were pretty effective in, in you know, will be accompanied with with slightly better results. Well, and as you mentioned, you know, you, you start a series on the road, uh, you get two chances to win one game to where you can you can try to win it at home later in the series that way. So they've still got an opportunity, of course, in game two. As far as uh, the Mavericks defense, I, I've been pretty impressed with what Jason Kidd has done at the back end of this season and into the postseason with them defensively. The Warriors, though, all season long have beat themselves with turnovers. It's even happened in the postseason. I think they were second in the league, almost 15 turnovers a game. They did have 15. They, they actually lost the turnover battle in game one, 15 to 13, and Luka had seven of those turnovers for Dallas. If you can see them sort of a, a lockdown an element of the Warrior offense or if there's something the Warriors that uh, Dallas would have an advantage on on the defensive end against the Warrior offense where is it that they can exploit that you know in the regular season I thought that they bothered Steph as much as I've ever seen him bothered he didn't see it as much in game one but you know Dallas is has gotten really good at, at trapping and, and doubling and then making the right rotations based out of that you know I, I think if there's a single thing they do best it's that they nail their rotations almost every single time. Now, if you're trapping and doubling really high up the court, you know, away from the three-point line, and uh, Steph's able to get a quick pass out, sometimes you just can't rotate well enough to solve that. That's what Draymond Green is as a middle-of-the-floor middle kind of quarterback. They haven't played. Dallas hasn't played a player like that in the last two rounds. 
that's going to be the, the challenge that the Warriors pose. That and, and, you know, Jordan Poole is another example of somebody who just has more dynamism than, you know, anybody on the, on the Phoenix or Utah rosters that were not, you know, the main stars. You know, it's, it's really the role players, you know, the guys that are receiving the passes when, when the star gets doubled that need to make those plays and, and, and need to be able to take advantage of, of four-on-three situations or, or three-on-two situations that disappear really quickly because the Dallas is really good at getting back into position. That's where the Dallas defense is, is going to focus. I, I think that they are really going to try to bother Steph throughout this series, but it may be that the rest of the Warriors roster is, is just well enough equipped that you know they can force the Mavericks out of you know a consistent uh, consistent uh, string or, or sequence of, of double teams in, in those situations. I think we use the term like X factor a little bit too much. I'm looking for the most important player in the series for Dallas outside of Luca. I would say it's Spencer Dinwiddie because you talked about that with the Warriors, sort of the ancillary players coming in and helping out and, and sort of making up for, for offense when guys are on the bench. Who are you looking at? Is it Dinwiddie or is there somebody else that you're identifying as like a big factor in this series who needs to have a big series? I think Dinwiddie is probably the best bet. We could broaden it and say just the secondary playmakers, the, the, the two co-star ball handlers, so that would also include Jalen Brunson. Jalen got to his two-point spots. He was, he was 6 of 11 on, uh, on twos, and he's fairly consistent inside the arc. He's you know, unless he's facing, you know, a really, really long rangey team that has a bunch of, you know, six, seven wing defenders, he's pretty good at that. He's pretty consistent. You know, the, the inconsistency for him is that he went 0 of 5 on threes, and that affects his overall performance and, and a box score line. Dinwiddie is, is more of an enigma where it almost doesn't seem like he's effective or, or ineffective based on the defense. It's just kind of whether his shots go down because he, he's pretty good at, you know, angling into the lane in drawing contact, but it's the type of contact that can sometimes go uncalled, sometimes go called. So that part of his game sometimes feels like it rests on just how the refs are calling the game on a, on a game-to-game basis. And then he's got these these three-pointers. Like, he loves also shooting the step-back three, especially going to his right. And what can you do? I remember in, in Game 7, you know, he had a couple of those against Phoenix early on. And one of them, I swear, he, he, he was dribbling since, you know, from 16 on the shot clock to three, and he takes that <laughs> shot and he makes it. And I'm like... Like, I'm feeling bad for the Suns. Like, what can they do? There's nothing they can do. You know, they, they have all their other good defenders spread out on, on Luka and Brunson in, in various places on the court. And, you know, if Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be hitting stepbacks on you, you just kind of throw your hands up. So I think he's the real X factor in, in this series in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's, he's a good player, man. He's fun to watch. I watch him back at Colorado. He had a chance to be a Pac-10 player. Might have been Pac-12, I guess, by then. Player of the year uh, before he had injury uh, in his final season. One more for you. Uh, leaving the court uh, after game one, there's that photo that everybody captured. Lucas got the sort of like the scar scratch across his face, and he kind of had a smirk going. What's his attitude generally? Is he one of these guys where, like, I mean, these guys are obviously high-level competitors, but I look at a dude like Giannis, who's obviously fun-loving and, and is joking with the media all the time. He's cracking jokes. Is Luca more that, or is he more of like a a cold-blooded killer like okay you guys got this one but I'm coming back for game two I've seen your your best defense or I've seen this set you threw at me what's he like to cover what's his attitude in situations like this yeah personality he's more outwardly he's more Giannis but also I would call him a a cold-blooded killer he he does kind (laughs) of act like that in those situations like he's had a bit of a temper for you know honestly since he came into the league he was almost suspended for the last game, the one he actually got hurt in because he picked up his 16th technical and then it got rescinded. He's funny. He, he kind of blends the two. You know, somebody asked him about that, uh, that exact picture after the game. And he was like, I was just thinking about walking off the court. You know, like, like he played it straight. You know, he's not the one that's going to go, you know, talk trash in the, in the postgame interview setting. 
but he will on the court, and you know he's just going to let his play show up. A lot of people, you know, I was talking to Slovenians. I've got a feature coming out uh, Friday, just about you know the way that they're watching him from from over in in Slovenia, and they all loved. Phoenix was kind of making fun of him. They had the Luca special, and they're like, "You made Luca mad. What did you expect? Like we knew this was coming. Once that happened, we knew the series was over." And sure, is it is it uh, you know confidence in in you know the country's best player? Sure, you know maybe irrationally so, but uh, it, it didn't turn out to be. They won that series. The series was over, uh, and the Mavericks won in seven against Phoenix because uh, they made you know Phoenix made Luca mad, and that's kind of the player he is. Yeah, Devin Booker, uh, that's not aging well. Uh, he's gonna have to think about that one all off season long while he's waiting to uh, to hopefully get back to a, to a Western Conference semifinal, maybe to a final next year. Hey, thanks so much, Tim. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll try to drop a link to that article uh, in our our bio down here uh, on the Slovenians or for, that you you did an interview with Slovenians. Is that what it was? I did. About I did. Yeah. His personality. Yeah. Cool. We'll try to drop that in for uh, our listeners to check out ahead of Game Two. But uh, appreciate the time, man. We'll catch up with you later. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow, great stuff from Tim Cato. Nice to get the Mavericks perspective on things. Normally, we like to do that before the series starts, but uh, schedule-wise, didn't work out. So we got you a little hit on the Mavericks before Game 2. The Warriors, of course, with a one nothing series lead heading into that Game 2 against Dallas. would be nice to hold on to home court advantage if they can win Game 2. Don't give it back to Dallas. The Warriors, by the way, have won a road game in 25 consecutive playoff series. That's an unbelievable note. So even if they were to drop a game at home, uh, history would tell you that they play pretty well on the road. Thank you to Tim Cato. Thank you to Brian Smith, my producer. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is you're listening to us. We'll keep bringing you all the top stories in Bay Area sports on Monday. A little bit on 49er football. The schedule came out. We haven't talked a whole lot about that. We can talk about that as well as some of the off-season roster moves that the 49ers are making heading in to minicamp. So Brian Peacock going to join us on Monday. We'll get into some 49er football and then back into playoff basketball. Until then, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.